So we are going to continue in our study of the parables uh, that Jesus taught. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Luke 15 today, uh, to uh, especially one very familiar parable. But uh, just a reminder, we've been in Matthew 13 the last uh, few weeks, and those were kind of the kingdom parables, at least I would say most of the parables are kingdom parables, but in Matthew 13, they're like explicitly so. The parable of the sower, the wheat and the weeds, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, and the pearl. Just talking about the reality of the kingdom, the characteristics of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And one of the things I shared was about a Daybreak Pregnancy Center. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you can see, but there's flowers down here just representing. Uh, they're a ministry that, that walks with uh, young couples, young women uh, that find themselves uh, with pregnancies, sometimes unexpectedly, and they're considering their options of what might they do. And, and back in May, there were eight moms that decided to parent instead of pursue abortion. That is God's kingdom at work. Uh, and these, that's right. And, uh, and so these flowers just represent uh, those, those lives that are, uh, will be given uh, a chance at life and, uh, and just God's work there. The work of the kingdom is not merely the saving of souls. It is definitely that inclusive of that, but it's not the end of it. It is God establishing rightness uh, and, and truth and, and things that are good in this world. So that's the reality of the kingdom. This week, we're going to kind of begin to look at what is the entrance into the kingdom. How do you get into the kingdom of God? Well, that begs the question because then that says then not everybody is already in the kingdom of God. So how do you get in? And so we're going to look at things that are lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, uh, and the rejoicing when something that is lost is found. So uh, in Luke 15, uh, feel free to, would you stand with me as we just want to hear God's word to us. This is Jesus, uh, Luke writing, uh, and we're going to get into the parables, at least the first two to start with, of Jesus. So now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, that's Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, And eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. That was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what about a woman who, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and diligently and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she found it, And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, 
there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. God, I I ask that you would, uh, by your spirit and the power of the spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, would you be at work in us this morning. Father, I pray for those who don't know you, who this passage, this chapter would would, uh, describe as lost. Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would be found by your grace. God, that they would humble themselves and repent. Father, for those in this room who maybe have known you for decades, God, I pray that you would challenge us in our view of grace and the way that we view people uh, in need of grace. Father, maybe even the way we see ourselves. So, Father, thank you that you are at work and that your gospel rings out this morning. I pray that you draw us all to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Have you ever wondered why is it so common that we lose stuff, right? You know, most of us lose uh, things regularly. You know, some of us are more prone to losing things. uh, And don't look at your spouse if they're the one. One study shows that men are twice as likely to lose their phones than women. Uh, you could debate that in your own home, but I'm just saying what one study said, right? Uh, another study concluded that the average person misplaces nine things a day and spends an average of 15 minutes looking for them uh, it, during that day, uh, right? You know, after youth um, on Sunday night, you should show up after Sunday night. You know, it's like a lost and found fest. Uh, you know, it's quite impressive, actually. And uh, our favorite place that something has been lost, um, the student will remain nameless. They can share it if they want. But that they lost their cell phone, and we found it in a box of Cheez-Its. <laughs> that is a true story. Uh, true story. Uh, so anyway, a few years back, Uber, you know, the rideshare company, they posted their lost and found index. Uh, you know, the most common things that were lost, expected. Keys, phones, wallet, purse, sunglasses, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, the most forgetful city in the United States, Los Angeles. Uh, The most common day that things are lost, Sunday. No symbolism, but uh, the unique uh, items that were lost. My favorite, a lobster. (laughs) Nordic walking poles, a bulletproof vest. If you need one, don't leave it behind. Uh, But uh, cornhole boards, anyway, a lottery ticket or a vacuum. Uh, and, you know, those are things you normally take with you on an Uber. It's, it's interesting. When we start talking about lost things, that's really the reality of what Jesus is, is laying out in front of us. He, he starts with a lost sheep and a lost coin. You know, verses 3 through 7, he picks up the idea of the sheep. You know, a man has a hundred sheep and he loses one. He leaves the 99. He searches for the one. There's the, the kind of until, he searches until he finds it. He finds it, he carries it back, he celebrates and invites his friends to join him in the celebration. And Jesus concludes uh, that, that parable with, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So there's a lost sheep, and then there's the lost coin. 
uh, verses 8 through 10. A woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Well, she diligently searches, lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and she searches until she finds it. When she finds it, she celebrates and invites her friends to join her in the celebration. Jesus concludes that one. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And so as Jesus starts to talk about lost things, uh, you know, look at the, the sheep, you know, it's in need of rescue. The sheep can't contribute anything to its salvation. It can't contribute anything to its being found. It, even when it's found, it needs to be carried home or else it's going to wander off again. It, can, it won't even follow the shepherd home. It needs to be carried back because it can't find its way. The coin obviously can't find itself. Uh, so there's this need for lost things. There's this need of rescue or need of some searching out of it. And it, the, the search was intent, uh, that the woman was diligently looking, lighting lamps, sweeping the entire house to find the coin. But the search doesn't stop. Well, oh, you know, I ran out of time. I guess I'll just move on. It's lost. No, it's ser- the search is intent until the thing is found. There's rejoicing when it's found, and not just a rejoicing of the shepherd or the woman, but she, they invite others to join in their, re, uh, in their celebration, celebration. But what's the turning point? What, what's the point that Jesus is making? Is he really talking about losing a lobster on an Uber ride? No, or you know, lost things, you misplace your keys. No, he, he's not talking about the things that we use. He uses, lose, we, he uses that as an illustration of people that are lost, of people that don't know him. And so the conclusion of both of these parables in, in verse 7 is just so, this is the sheep, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over, over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Here's the conclusion of the lost coin. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So yes, Jesus uses the illustration of lost things and finding them, but he's driving home the point that people that are lost, when they are found, how does heaven respond? Heaven is lit up over the repentance of one sinner who repents. And one sinner who comes back to the Lord. So repentance is the need for those who are lost. You know, the, the sheep and the coin, they're found. That is equal to a sinner who repents is, is kind of the point that Jesus is driving at. So what does it mean to be lost as a person? Well, it really is to be devoted to anything else other than Jesus. You are lost unless you are devoted to and submitted to the things of God. And what is repentance? Repenting is a word that is a turning from something to another thing. So you turn from the thing that you're devoted to and you turn to Jesus. That's the idea of repentance. And so if you have not come to a place where you have turned from... Pursuing 
wealth and pleasure or whatnot, or you have turned from resting in your own righteousness, resting in how well you figure life out. If you haven't turned from those things as the, the thing that you rest on in life and turn to Jesus, these parables would say you are lost. That's Jesus' point. So if repentance is what lost people need, if you have not repented, you are still lost. Okay? Now, that's not the end of the story, but just so that everybody's on the same page, that's what is going on. And there's joy in heaven among God and the angels when, uh, when one sinner who is devoted to other things other than the Lord turn back to him. Now, who is Jesus speaking to? Who is Jesus speaking to here? Okay, verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. So he's got a crowd of, you know, kind of questionable people, right? And then the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the religious leaders, the ones who have their act together. How did they respond to Jesus hanging out with these undesirables is they grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So let's not miss something. So Luke 15 uh, is often uh, kind of read and, and kind of looked at in terms of how great it is that lost people can know the grace of God and come into uh, a relationship with him. Now, but that's not Jesus' main point. He uses the description of salvation, but he is telling us and he is speaking to people who need to understand the grace of God. So he's speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's speaking to the self-righteous ones. He's speaking to the ones that would say, you know what, those people are outside of the kingdom. And Jesus uses these three parables to explain to them the reality of the kingdom. So while, just, while, yes, Jesus is describing the heart of God, there's no question, especially when we get to the, uh, the one about the prodigal son. But he's challenging the Pharisees in their view of the gospel. He's challenging people's view of the gospel that are familiar with the things of God. In a sense, he's challenging people who have been around the things of God their whole life. Because they are grumbling against Jesus for being around those people who are lost. God and the angels rejoice when there's repentance. How do, they, how do the Pharisees and the scribes respond even when Jesus is around them? They grumble. So it's not just that God is willing to be around people that don't know him. He throws a party when people come to know him out of their place of being lost. He longs to welcome them into his presence, and he celebrates their repentance. So then Jesus really turns up the heat. He goes from lost sheep and lost coin to then the lost son. Okay, oftentimes this is termed the prodigal son, 
right? It's the, the prodigal son. And, and the word prodigal uh, is not in the passage, uh, but it is a word, kind of an old school word that we don't use much, uh, describing basically spending money or using all of your resources recklessly and wastefully and, ex- and just kind of just blowing money left and right. That's a prodigal. Okay, or prodigal is an adjective. That's that way of living. So here's where Jesus is kind of up in the ante. It's one thing to have a dumb sheep who can't find his own way get lost, right? Of course, you know, sheep aren't smart and everybody knows it, okay? Or a lost coin, well, you know, things fall out of pockets or kind of j- just get on the floor and you can't find them. Things happen. They're accidental. They're not willful. But it's, a, it's another thing entirely when you start talking about the prodigal son or the son who willfully, rebelliously leaves the father. But notice something. We call it the prodigal son. How does Jesus, what does he name this parable? Okay, don't look at the heading in your Bible. <laughs> That's not Jesus. Okay, verse 11. And then he moves on to his third, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. Who's he speaking to again? He's speaking to the self-righteous Pharisees who think they have their act together. And he tells a story about two sons, and we have made it a story about one son. Almost that the tack on second son, oh yeah, 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 you know, if you're around the church a lot, this is for you. That's Jesus' whole point. He, u- he tells the story of the first son so that the people who are like the second son, maybe their eyes would be opened to the reality of the gospel. So, knowing that, what is this parable that Jesus tells? Starting in verse 12. Uh, you know, verse 11 was uh, a man had two sons. Uh, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered, that's the idea of prodigal, squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants... Have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. 
and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, he being the son. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, when, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father to the son, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus tells the picture of the gospel of grace to hit the Pharisees and the scribes between the eyes. People that think they are somehow outside of the need of grace or better than somebody else and and so our view of lost things reveals our attitude towards grace and don't worry we're going to go quickly through these um it reveals our attitude towards grace because we've already looked at the lost sheep the lost coin and now we're at the lost son uh but really you could say the lost sons plural because they both were lost they just looked very different Verse 28, how did the son respond, the older son? He was angry. He refused to go in. He, because he didn't go in, his father came out. Well, what's all over this story is the dishonor of the father, okay? Uh, you know, kind of like heads of households, first off, they never ran. They don't run. It's just kind of beneath them. It's kind of dishonoring. And he goes tearing off after his son when he sees him. Then his, his older son won't go into the party, so he leaves his own party to go out. Just the dishonor and the shame that Jesus is describing that the father is willing to take on, not only for his lost son, but the one that was still there. He takes on their shame. He was angry. He refused to go in. Verse 30, you know, this son of yours, the one that's devoured your property with prostitutes, the basic premise of the older brother is, I never did any of that. He even says it, right? Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Jesus's point is that both sons are in need of grace. Obviously the wayward son who rebelled and left, but also the good son who is trusting more in his obedience to arrange his life than a relationship with the father. 
And now things start to get interesting because we live in a land of prominence. We live in a land of wealth. We live in a land of success and knowledge and education. And we want our kids to excel in things. It's really easy in some fashion, to kind of live according to how you arrange your life. And it's clipping along nicely if you've got things buttoned up. And uh, it's really easy to trust in your togetherness. And that's who Jesus is talking to. It's really easy to be around the church and even trust in your togetherness of maybe morality. You know, and maybe even asking, why can't other people figure it out like I have? Even if you don't ask the question, you might be thinking it. You know, especially when someone finds themselves in willful rebellion, that, that all found people were lost at some point. We can't miss that. All found people were lost at some point, regardless of what your lostness looked like. And it humbles us. What kind of what church would this produce? You know, if we truly believe that we were rescued, if we truly believe that we have been found, what, what goes on in your heart, right? There's this deep humility that, that is brought about by the grace of God. You know, we've said it a bunch of times, maybe the greatest marker of Christian maturity is humility. Why? Because you just you know you're outside of yourself. That that you are so thankful that that you become not just thankful of what God's done in your life. You become welcoming of others who struggle, welcoming of others who need to be rescued and found. Pride has no place. Think of it this way: think of the sheep that was lost, right? You know who needed to be sought after, found, and then carried home. You know. What does the sheep have to be proud about? You know, yeah, he might be back with the flock, enjoying the benefits of the flock, but when the sheep notices that another sheep is lost, you know, uh, for it to begin to look down on the other sheep, you know, there's it, this complete disconnect of the, the rescue of, of God compared to what is going on. You know, you can kind of hear phrases uh, like, you know, you, can you believe what he did? And as I wrote this, I had like the voice of Eddie Murphy from Shrek uh, in my head. Uh, we actually just watched that last night. And, and can you believe what he did? I'm going to try not to say it with that voice. But, uh, you know, he just wandered off. He didn't listen. Uh, the, the shepherd gave us very specific instructions. You know, all he had to do was follow the rules. Uh, and none of this would have happened. You know, what could possibly uh, have made him think that this was a good idea. Uh, do you remember that you needed to be rescued too? Do you remember that you were in the same situation? Because our view of lost things starts to expose and give us the, the attitude towards grace. But it also shows us our motivation for obedience. Okay, And so in... in in verse 30, how did the son, the older son, describe his way of living in the father's house? I have served you and have never disobeyed your command, but you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
It's kind of the sense, not just I got to be your son or I enjoy your embrace and, and all of what you give me. I served in your house, Father. I served you for years and you didn't give me anything. And this son of yours devours all your property. You killed the fattened calf. But what, what's the father's response? Is verse 31, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. And the question is, why do you obey? Why would you ever obey the Father? Is it to get the results in life that you want? Is it to avoid bad consequences? So any motivation, any motivation that is less than love for the Father is somehow self-serving, if you really think about it. And, he, and so, so Jesus is actually talking to the, the arrogant, self-righteous older brother, the Pharisees and the scribes, who do a bunch of stuff to arrange their life so it'll, be, it'll look good and it'll work out. And he's like, you are just as lost as the, as the younger brother, is what Jesus is saying. You need grace maybe even more than that guy, because at least he knows it. Because the subtlety of lostness in the midst of of like good choices and and maybe even uh, maybe even morality, the sense of lostness, if that's what you are resting on, it is very subtle because you're doing life on your own and you're actually still moving away from God. Now, if that didn't make any sense to you and you're like, am I there? I'd love to talk to you. Um, because I think that's the point of the Bible. The Bible is not get your act right. The point of the Bible is when we have not, when we have moved away from the living God, God is the one who comes and finds us and by his grace brings us back. Because then we start to see a right assessment of ourselves. Because our view of lost things reveals that. You know, what does Jesus say we need? Repentance. What is repentance? Turning from something else to him. What did the younger brother do? Let's go back to him, because that's the story of the gospel. He's out in the fields. He's looking at the pigs. He wish he has the, the food that the pigs did. And remember, this is a Jewish audience. So pigs and pork and, and all of that is, is like taboo. So he's hanging out with pigs in the field, wishing he could eat what they ate. We're talking like low here. Of, and he came to himself. In a sense, he came to his senses. And when, what's his sense of what he did is, I have sinned against, there's two things he says. I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned father before you. In a sense, that, that repentance is first before God, before it is the horizontal relationship we may have hurt people here, but primarily where our repentance needs to begin is, is with the Lord. I have sinned against God. I've sinned against heaven. And yes, I have also sinned uh, in the, against the people in my life. Um, it's wild that his phrase was not, my life is falling apart and this is just not working for me. This whole crazy living thing, I'm out of money, I got nothing to eat. That, that that wasn't his rationale of repentance. That may have, like, opened his eyes um, because that would simply be a God version of self-centeredness. 
It's basically, I need God because he, it's not, I need God because he can make my life work out better. It's, I have sinned against God. I have harmed his character uh, or, or spoken against his character. I have, I have negated and moved against his love. There's no excuses, no explaining. He just comes to himself and recognizes that. That's the sense. And Jesus is basically saying to the Pharisees, you need to come to the same place. That you come to yourself, that you've lived on your own terms. I have sinned against God and I've hurt the people in my life. And you fall down in humility before him. Because here's the good news of the gospel. That he, the son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is the one who basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. He goes and he leaves. So how do you find and see somebody a long way off and actually get there before they get to your house? The father must have been looking for him. Every time or so in it during his day, he would look up and see if his son was returning. The good news of the gospel is that the father was watching, and then he sees him. He feels compassion. He runs, embraces, and kisses him. He deserved to be rejected, but yet he's welcomed. Verse 24, this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found, and they began to celebrate. The beauty of the gospel is when we deserve to truly get put out of the family. God the Father, because of what God the Son did, he is going and he's running and he embraces the ones who feel like they are unworthy. That's the gospel. And even better than that, while there was an older brother who looked at his younger brother with disdain, There truly was a true older brother who actually worked on our behalf. Hebrews 2 talks about Jesus. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus probably had every right to look down at us, the younger brothers in the room, And kind of have disdain for us. But instead the move of the gospel is that he embraces. He welcomes. And he is not ashamed to call rebels. Sinners. Ones who moved away from God. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. The good news of the gospel. Is that you are saved by grace. Not your goodness. But if you are resting on your goodness. Jesus is showing you the gospel. So that you might become aware of what you are trusting in. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do work in us by your spirit. God, I recognize that it takes the power that raised Jesus from the dead to turn a heart that is trusting in something else other than you to turn that heart to you. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, that today would be that turning, that that sense of uh, going from death to life, of being lost and now being found. God, would you draw people in this room to yourself by the power of the Spirit. 
God, thank you uh, for those in this room who know you. God, would you uh, just speak to us, uh, help us to understand maybe how we've been resistant to grace in some fashion or another. God, restore us in the gospel. Restore us by your grace. Thank you for Jesus, that he did for us what we couldn't do. He went to the cross for the punishment that we deserved. And he rose from the dead to give us life. And Father, I thank you for that and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.